Now, the, the talk, the thoughts that I'm going to share are from my, what I think God's saying to me about a passage in the Bible. And if you've been here over the summer at all, and I must confess, this is my first week, my first Sunday of the summer Sundays that I've actually been at St. Thomas's. Um, so I don't know what it's been like. But if you've been here, you may well have hit some of the other heroes of faith that we've been looking at. So each Sunday we've picked our character from the Bible, from the Old Testament, some kind of a hero, and thought about what that might mean for us and how that tells us of who God is and who Jesus is. Does anybody remember any of the heroes we've looked at so far? You can shout out, but you're gonna have to make it really loud. Noah, great, that was the first one, well done. Anyone else? Moses, fantastic, that was number three. Anybody? David, last week. David, there's one more. Joseph. Mim, you are just getting every single one. Um, so we've, we've, we've had Noah and Joseph and Moses and David. And often I think we, um, we forget sometimes in the Bible that there are actually quite a lot of ladies too. And, and in our language, in the way we talk about heroes, the word hero often just talks about um, men, it's a masculine word, um, but in the modern language, we use hero to talk about heroines as well, to talk about um, women who are heroes too. Today, our character, our hero is Esther. Has anyone heard of Esther before? Okay, I'm noticing nods and hands, that's good because I'm hoping um, if you've read the Bible at any stage, you'll have come across Esther at some point. So, there is often something a bit unexpected about the heroes in the Bible. They aren't always the ones you've been expecting. Um, at least a couple of the heroes that we've had so far have been quite unexpected. David, who we heard about last week, he was um, an annoying younger brother um, and he made loads of mistakes in his life. If you were to look at all the things he did on paper, if he'd existed today, he would have been cancelled without a second thought. Absolutely no way that you'd have thought God would use him. And yet, he is a hero of faith in the Bible. Joseph, another one that we looked at. Um, another younger brother, another annoying younger brother. Um, he had a lot of ideas above his station. And there wasn't anything about him particularly except his wonderful coat, which suggested he was worthwhile. But God used him. He wasn't shaping up well. He spent time in prison, but God uses him and he is an absolute hero. Um, this week with our first woman, she is one of only two women to have a book of the Bible named after her. Esther and any prizes for the other book of the Bible named after a woman? Uh, Ruth, it just sounds like people are grunting, but Ruth, Ruth. Um, yeah, Ruth, so Ruth and Esther, our two um, Bible books named after women. And she is also an unexpected hero, partly because she is a woman, because especially in Bible times, and sometimes even today, it's much harder for women than men to be heard and have and hold positions of power in our society and have and hold positions of leadership. Now we're gonna read a little bit of the story um, straight from the Bible in a moment. But before we get there, I'm gonna set the scene. We could read the entire book, it would take a long time. So I'm gonna try and like, just briefly cover that. Um, but first, does anybody know anything about Esther? Anything at all? It doesn't have to be a child. It could be a grown-up that answers this. 
uh, Ezra, my son says he's got raisins, which doesn't have anything to do with Esther. Um, but Mim, Mim, what do you know about Esther? No. No. <laughs> Fantastic. She's stolen my thunder a little bit, but um, no, you haven't really. Mim was saying that Esther is the only book in the Bible, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is true. Um, I did check it out. I haven't read every book in the Bible specifically this week to double check, but it's the only book of the Bible that doesn't mention God at any point. The entire story, uh, if you read any commentary or any description of Esther and her life, it's all about how faithful Esther is to God, how much she trusts in God, what God does through her. And yet the book in the Bible doesn't say that explicitly, clearly, at any point. It's the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God. Esther is a woman, and we've covered that already. She's an orphan. She's kind of a refugee, although it's been about 100 years since the Jews were um, uh, refugees and, and um, in in exile from, from their home nation. And she is adopted by her cousin, a man named Mordecai. So let me just cover the story. We'll set the scene. Um, they're living in a city called Susa, where there's a small community of Jews living, um, and the king of Persia also lives in Susa. And that's where the story begins, really. The king is having a party with his friends. It's quite a knees up. Not the sort of party that I should be describing in an all-age service. Um, and uh, as part of that party, the king wants to parade his wife, Vashti, in front of all of his friends to show them how, should we say, wonderful she is. Um, the implication in the text, in the story, is that this was not a very honouring way of parading Vashti. Now, Vashti doesn't particularly like this, understandable. And um, I was listening to a podcast um, by two um, wonderful leaders in the church in the Midlands, um, uh, Rachel and Amy Hughes. I think I've got their names right there. It's the Orchard podcast. I can recommend it. They're covering um, women of the book at the moment. So um, significant women in the Bible. Definitely listen to that. And as they were talking about Esther, they discovered that Queen Vashti was their unexpected hero of this story. She stands up for what should be right and what isn't right about the way we treat women. She says, no, I don't want to be paraded as an object in front of your friends. But it doesn't go so well for her. The king feels so embarrassed that he basically sacks Vashti as queen. Um, and um, he's therefore, as he's looking for, above anything else, a beautiful woman to take the place of, of Vashti, he starts a beauty contest, a year-long beauty contest that spans the whole kingdom where he, it's not like a competition like Britain's Got Talent where you apply to be part of it, but where he sends people out to go and find beautiful women and bring them back. So maybe not the most enjoyable um, uh, process to be part of this competition. Esther is very beautiful and so she is brought back to the king and she wins the competition but she has been warned not to reveal that she is you, okay. It's okay. you can stay here with me she um she's been warned not to tell the king or anyone that she is a jew because the people of israel were not well loved and so as she is as she is i'm still here
So, um, Esther finds herself suddenly the winner of this beauty competition. She's so beautiful that the king makes her queen. At this point, I would like to point out that Esther is probably 14. Just, just as an FYI, I read this story and I always imagine her being a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old. She's probably about 14. That makes what happens next in the story even more impressive. So she's um, just a teenager. She's been made queen of the nation. She's won a beauty contest. And shortly after that, Mordecai, Esther's cousin, who had adopted her as his own to look after her as though he were his father, overhears a plot to kill the king. He tells Queen Esther, who in turn tells the king, and Mordecai becomes a hero in the nation because he helps the king avert this plot to kill him. So Esther gains even more favor, and Mordecai gains favor, and still no one knows that they're Jews. They just think they're good people. After about five years, so Queen Esther's about 19 years old, um, same sort of age as our freshers will be when they arrive in the city. Um, a man called Haman, who's the baddie in the story, by the way, um, he, he was the person the king had put in charge of basically everything except the king himself. And he gets quite cross with Mordecai. Everyone bows down to Haman because he's so important. But Mordecai, who is a good Jew and knows that you don't bow down to anyone except God, refuses to bow down. This makes Haman very cross and very annoyed. And so he makes a plan to have not just Mordecai, but the whole of the Jewish people in the country killed. Because that's the proportional response to someone being a bit rude to you. So little did the king know that Haman, um, uh, sorry, the king and Haman, little did they know that, that Queen Esther was a Jew. And so making this plan actually meant that Queen Esther would die too. Mordecai hears about the plan and understandably he's quite upset. So there are Jews everywhere and we presume they're crying out to God. It doesn't say that they're praying, but it does tell us that they're fasting, which means they're forgoing food, and normally that's paired with praying. It's a way of helping us to focus on God as we pray. And they're wearing sackcloth and ashes, which is a way of saying sorry to God and asking him to forgive and help them. Esther doesn't know what's going on, but Mordecai is feeling sad, so she sends someone out to find out what's wrong. He comes back to her and he tells her everything that's happened and everything that's been planned and says, you've got to go to the king and stop it. And Esther basically replies with, uh, I'd love to help, but I'm not really sure it's something I could do. It's outside my remit. Um, I don't think I'll be able to help. And that is basically where our passage today picks up. So I'm going to read from it now. This is from Esther chapter 4. I'm just going to read verse 9 to 17, um, and, and then we'll think about what that means for us. So Esther chapter 4, beginning at verse 9, follow it on your phones or in your Bible if you've got one with you. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the kings and officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king, 
there is but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported back to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your family will perish. And who knows? Oh dear, I've lost my place. And who knows? But that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther gave this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. And I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king and even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I thought of a little episode, a little challenge we could do that might help indicate what that was like for Esther. After this, it's worth saying, we've not read it in the passage, but Esther does go to the king. She isn't killed. He does eventually work out what's going on. Esther follows her, what you could say was intuition, but it's clear from this biblical text, is God's guidance. The king has a dream and remembers how wonderful Mordecai was for saving his life. Has favour for Mordecai and for Esther and deals with Haman just as Haman was hoping to deal with Mordecai. So it does turn around, but this important moment is Esther making a decision trying to work out whether she's going to do something or not do something and feeling like she's not sure if she can. Now for this, I will need a volunteer. I might need more than one. I'm going to suggest that the volunteer is probably um, a child because that will make it easier. Um, But if there's no kids willing, I can take an adult. Any volunteers? Well, I have to pick my own children. Yes, come, come, come. Getting out of the way quick. Okay, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Julia. This is Julia, everybody. Um, Julia, I'm wondering, how, how good are you at jumping? How good are you at jumping? Do you think, could you jump? Yeah, great. Will you all agree that Julia can jump? Yeah, yeah fantastic. Okay, wonderful. Um, now, Julia, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it slightly more difficult. There's a, there's a little kind of circular thing here in, in, on the floor. Do you think you can jump from there into the circle? Do you reckon you can? Okay, well, let, Let's give us some encouragement. Can we, can we just um, maybe, yeah, rattle on your knees? Yeah, okay. Oh. Hey! Okay, absolutely nailed it. Would, would you have said that was tricky, difficult? No, not sure at all. Okay, um, what about then? Do you reckon you could jump from there onto here? I'm going to put the microphone down to make sure that if it goes wrong, I catch you so you don't fall onto the tiles. I, would we all agree we managed that? No worries? I think you did, you did very well. We're going to up the stakes a little bit. 
Okay. <clears throat> do you think? Do you think you could jump onto that? You, before you try, do you think you could? No. Not sure you could. Feels like it might be impossible. Do, do any 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 adults or taller people in the room think they could jump up onto this? There's a, cu- a couple of people just. I've seen one or two. I'm going to say they're men. Just going. Yeah. <laughs> No hands, you'll notice, just nodding. Um, do you think it might be a bit tricky? Do you think it might be a bit tricky, a bit difficult? Okay. Uh, I'm going to suggest we, we try it, but we're going to do something a little bit different. I, I'm going to help you. Is that all right? Yeah? Okay. Can we have our drum roll, please? Fantastic. Round of applause, please. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Now, anybody, any ideas what was different about that second, that final jump than the first few? I mean, it was fairly obvious. It's not a trick question. She had help. Okay. It was, I think, probably for for Julia, an impossible challenge. Everything was suggesting that it would go wrong and perhaps not death would occur, but at least a fall onto some pretty owie tiles. There's something similar there about what Esther was going through. In verse 11, Esther is worried and tries to avoid the challenge of going to the king and asking him to change his mind. She sees, with the help of others though, that actually, even though she doesn't want to, she is perfectly placed to be the hero in that situation. Just as Julia was perfectly placed to be our hero. No one else was closer. If, for example, Sam had come up and been struggling, I would have struggled to lift Sam up to help him. We had our perfectly placed hero. Even though she might be an unlikely candidate. The only way to approach it was with some help. And as with Esther, the only way to approach the problem of going to the king was with the help of God. Esther prepares for the challenge by praying and asking those around her to pray. Do you remember in verse 16, she asks Mordecai to ask all the people, all the Jews to fast for three days. The only way to approach it was with the help of God and then she's courageous she trusts in God to work his will in the situation now she said if I perish I perish that didn't quite happen here but there was I think a degree of trust that I would help it happen um, but also I mean maybe not enough thought process had happened um, but I suppose had I not been able to had I not been up to the task we witnessed a willingness to go for it anyway and to put trust in the person helping you. There's something here for us to learn as followers of Jesus too. In, um, in Luke chapter 9, 
Um, Jesus tells his disciples about the cost of following him. He says in, in verse 23 to 25, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? We are, called, we are asked, we are called to use our position, the, God, the position that God has given us, whatever that is, to glorify him. Esther was not a likely candidate to make world-changing decisions. She was there largely because she was pretty. And we're all a bit, a bit dismissive of people who get to places because of their looks. Well, that's how Esther got there, but that wasn't all she was about. And that wasn't why God had put her there. And that wasn't all she had to offer. She was extremely brave. Now you may not be a queen and you may have done different things to get to where you've got to, but we all have influence in our own spaces, in our own way. Where is God calling you to trust in him and do something brave to change the status quo? to change what's happening? How has God worked in your life to now in ways that might not even explicitly have mentioned his name, but that put you somewhere that you can work for him? Perhaps you haven't even noticed until today when you look back on it, how God has had a hand in your life placing you where you are. God might not be mentioned explicitly in this event, but he is still working. He is all over it. And he saves his people, the Jews, through the actions of a 19-year-old queen whose only apparent attribute was being pretty. I think there was a lot more to Esther than that. 